there's no way out other than Bitcoin, in my opinion. So I like to think, even if you just put a little bit, if you're totally skeptical and you're like, well, I, I don't trust it. I think Bitcoin's doomed to fail. What's 1% going to hurt? What's 5% going to hurt? If it right. absolutely fails, mm-hmm. you lost 5%. But what if, what if we're right? What if we're right? Do you think there's a 1% chance we're right? Maybe a 5% chance we're right? This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome back to the BCB Podcast. This week, we're joined once again by the extremely articulate Natalie Brunel. Natalie hosts the Coin Stories podcast as well as the Hard Money Show. She has a background as an award-winning TV journalist and investigative reporter. She's also an adjunct instructor at USC in the School of Communication and Journalism. And recently, she's been making regular appearances on major television media outlets, including Fox and ABC. In this hour, we cover topics such as what the world might look like without a fiat reserve currency, why dance is a full-contact sport, why you definitely don't want to be the only rich person around, Bitcoin is a tool for human rights, and how Josh and I plan to sneak into high-profile parties we aren't invited to at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami. Everything about Natalie and her work is linked down in the notes. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Blue underscore Collar BTC. The Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast is powered by, yep, CoinKite. Use promo code BCB for 5% off select items, including the new cold card Mark IV at CoinKite.com. Let's you and I have a heart-to-heart about something both of us know you want and need, something we know is best for you and your contentment, and that's a block lock. Yes, I get it. You don't want to part with your sats, but some things are just so daggone cool it's worth it. The block lock is one of them. Aside from my wife and two children... If my house was on fire, the fourth thing I would grab is my Block Clock Mini. It's simply majestic. Track things like price and hash rate, see blocks as they're published by miners, connect to an open dime to display the balance, and deposit QR codes all on a timeless e-ink digital display. Check out all CoinKite's prodigious products, including the Mark IV, Open Dime, Sats Card, Tap Signer, Seat Plate, and more at CoinKite.com. If you could do me one last favor, that'd be great. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Natalie, welcome back on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. How in the world are you? Well, thank you so much for having me. I wish we could do this in person in Chicago. I got to make my way back there, but I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing well. Yeah. Next time you're in town, give us a holler. I got to. I've got to. Yeah. I mean, it is a small world. I'm trying to remember the last time we interacted. I know the three of us had some conversation. We were talking tech. The three of us were talking microphones and tech. And we, we essentially put together, I think, not to dox our location or exactly, but that you grew up dancing literally across the street from the fire station that Josh and I are currently stationed at small freaking world. It's crazy. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm happy to share that. I grew up, I was there six days a week. I was doing 
I was a little ballerina. So I was dancing there. My mom would drive me after school. I'd spend a couple hours doing all forms of dance. And yeah, it was, it was beautiful memories in that area. So I know very well where your fire station is. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a fun anecdote, but hey, why not? I, I was actually recently, Josh, on a gruesome leg injury at that establishment. Were you? Dude, <laughs> yeah. ballerinas. Really? Uh, yeah. They take some rough hits, break femurs, ankles, toes. At my dance studio? <laughs> <laughs> what happened there, Dan? Fill us in. What? Uh, it was, a, I believe, a tibia fracture of uh, someone that was dancing what? at uh, the, the place where Natalie grew up. That's full oh. contact dance over there. Full contact. For anyone that says dance is not a sport, you head over to that studio where girls are breaking their femurs. <laughs> and people call golf a sport, you know? And I mean, look at how f- there's fat guys smoking cigars golfing. Josh knows I I, uh, I played golf in high school. I played golf in college and I actually worked in the golf business before I became a fireman. Uh-oh. So anytime Josh sees like a super fat dude on TV playing golf, he makes sure to twist the knife on me and... Uh, <laughs> Remind me that it's not a sport. I'm I'm down. I'll call it a game. Greatest game wow. ever played. But yeah, we can call it a game. Our buddy Jim <laughs> would uh, would dissent on that one, I think. But uh, I digress. I'm just not the golfer. I'm just not the golfer Dan is. I mean, maybe 100 on a good day. Maybe. Yeah, he's wow. a hack. I actually like, I, I enjoy golf. I, I spent two years working out in Palm Springs for my first on-camera news job. And I just like the golf culture. You know, you can play it until you're, you're, pretty much, you know, saying goodbye to the world. And, uh, and you, and, and one time you could be amazing. And the next time you're absolutely horrible and you never know what to expect. It's just a beautiful day on a beautiful course. You get to walk around. I I like golf a lot. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's how it goes for me. It's like sixth hole and I'm on like the third beer and just downhill hard. I, w- I was going to say, um, on that ambulance call to that dance studio, in the middle of splinting the the leg and administering fentanyl, I made sure to yell out, you guys know Natalie <laughs> Brunel, right? You're, you're now world famous. What's What in the world? Are, give us a, what are you up to? How has the last year been? Like, I, I think I, I remember hearing you say on a show that in at the Bitcoin conference in 2021, you had like 2,000 Twitter followers. Now you've got a quarter of a million not to back scratch here too hard, but that's beyond just the influence you've gained and the traction you've, you have growing. That's a huge life mm-hmm. change. Just the perception other people have of you, the perception of yourself. Walk us through what this has all been like. Oh, gosh. Well, that's very nice of you. I still um, I, I don't consider myself some big voice in the space because I'm learning from all the big voices. I just get I'm hopefully giving them a platform and a spotlight to share their ideas because I don't have a background in economics or technology or programming or anything. Uh, I just am, you know, I, I've, been, I've been a journalist for more than 10 years who's just so curious and passionate about Bitcoin and how it could fix a lot of our world. So, yeah, the last year has been crazy. I can't believe that a little more than a year ago, I went to the Bitcoin conference and I had a full-time job in corporate media. I had like two or 3000 followers on Twitter. I, I had, you know, just launched my podcast in the sense that I said, Hey world, like here are a couple episodes and this is just my fun hobby. And a year later, it's my full-time job, which is just so crazy. I think it's inspiring in the sense that if you care about something and you have authentic passion and you have a message to share, there's an audience potentially, or there's value that you can provide and you can create a little business for yourself. Um, But I'm just, you know, it's, it's a learning journey. I'm always constantly learning 
morning. I never expected that I would be, you know, leaving my job as Bitcoin was ascending into 60 thousand something range and I thought it was going all the way to a hundred thousand and then boom it crashes and it's now a bear market and I I've experienced a bear market before technically because I've been in Bitcoin since 2017 but not you know where this is my full-time job and I'm on my own and I'm the the head of my own business and and I'm uh, you know weathering the storm so it's been an interesting journey but I'm just really humbled and grateful I'm grateful that I get to talk to people I'm grateful people want to hear from me because I you know again I'm just the only thing I think I'm okay at is communicating a message to a very general audience, which is what I've done for 10 years. So my hope is that I can communicate the message of Bitcoin, break it down for people that have no clue what it is, and maybe spark a little bit of curiosity for them to go down the depths of the rabbit hole, which is never ending. Um, So I appreciate what you said. Thank you. Your appearances on mainstream media are stellar. You have an ability to condense this stuff down into like a one minute to two minute soundbite. And you, you knock it out of the park every single time. I'm just wondering, how do you prepare for those things? Do you have any idea what they're going to ask you ahead of time? Or are you just knocking those things out of the park as they send them at you? Basically, he's asking, are these actual pitches coming from the mound, like curveballs, fastballs? Or is this the home run derby <laughs> where they just get lobbed straight up <laughs> the middle? You're, you're just so good at succinctly delivering these things. Like Even for myself, I want to have an idea of how you how you prepare for these things because it would help us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I I would say three things. Number one, I usually, I usually don't know specific questions. I'll just know topics, right? Because it tends to be whatever's happening in the news that day. So if Elon Musk said something, if, you know, uh, a regulatory agency is doing something, if Fidelity has a headline, basically it's going to be whatever's relevant that week or or something happening with the Fed. So I try to stay up to date on whatever the headlines are. Um, And occasionally they'll give me the questions ahead of time so I can think through maybe a a few things I can mention. Uh, The second thing is this has been my job for the last 10 years. So I would go out for a reporter's job when you're a daily breaking news reporter, especially you go out that morning, you find out what your story is. Maybe you pitched it, but a lot of times they assign it to you. You spend eight to nine hours on that story that's only going to be condensed down to a one and a half minute package on the news where, where you have to go on camera for maybe 10 to 20 seconds and then toss to your story and that's it. So you're condensing nine hours worth of reporting down to a minute and a half, 90 seconds, which is, you know, it's it's crazy to think about because a lot is left down on the cutting room floor. It's one of the reasons why I like the podcast format because it was like, oh, I have to cut this out because I don't have time. Oh, there was this really interesting moment. I don't have time for it or room for it. Oh, this provides more context, but I don't have room for it. So it's like you get really good at taking a ton of information and a ton of interviews and just like turning it into like a little uh, orange pill of information, if you will, that's easy to administer in a short amount of time. So I'm just used to it. It's just what I've been doing. Um, And then the last thing is I try to just go big picture. Uh, There's something that I learned in journalism school, actually, that really stuck with me all these years. And now I pass it on to journalism students that I teach. And that is um, Aim for the Heart. It's a really good book that I read when I was in journalism school. And it's about the fact that people will forget the stuff that doesn't make them feel something. So you can throw facts at them and you can, you know, throw opinions or whatever. But until you get to the core of what they're experiencing as a human being um, and something that hopefully is universal, that gets to everybody's heartstrings, you're Mm. not 
necessarily make an impact. And so for me, I think it's been easy to make Bitcoin compelling because it's, it is very personal for me. Like I know what it's like to struggle, come from a background, you know, first generation immigrants, losing things, whatever. And I try to convey that feeling of just like, I get it that people feel left behind and there's a frustration that comes with that. And there's an injustice that comes with that. There's an inequality that we have no power to fix unless we get at the money system. And so many people are just not aware of how the money system works. So the things that I say, I try to somehow hit on that core of like, yeah, this isn't unfair because those people are rigging the system and manipulating everything and everyone else has to suffer. And like, this is your chance to, to make it better. And so I try to like always wrap it back into that universal feeling of like, we want to be heard and have a shot and have opportunity. Like we all want economic opportunity and dignity for our families. Yeah. One question I have is, along this soundbite topic, because a lot of what you're doing, you're going on Fox and you're, you're given three minutes basically to give your, yeah. your idea. And you do as good a job as anyone I've ever seen. But even still, even if we go to like the, the long-ish form, right, that, that you do on your podcast and we do on here, like we'll have conversations off the microphone and be like, we're oversimplifying some extremely complex right. shit. E even in our yeah. hour and a half long conversations, like, we're introducing a lot of people that don't have a macro background, don't know the first thing about finance, are new to yes. Bitcoin. And these themes and ideas are so complex, right? And even when you get to kind of the bottom, there's no bottom to the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but once you get fully submerged, right, <laughs> into the Bitcoin rabbit hole, well, then you realize like this is the, the Austrian school, the Bitcoin perspective is just one of many perspectives held by responsible people. The main question I have is, is there ever any dissonance or concern on your end like, Crap. I mean, I, yeah, there's people are kind of looking for me to be the teacher here. And I only had five minutes to explain something that I've studied for 700 hours. Like, is that ever something that you struggle with a little bit? Um, yeah. I mean, again, I just, I know that I'm not going to be able to explain Bitcoin in a soundbite. <laughs> right. So the, the thing that I try to do is just spark a little bit of curiosity and, and mm. provide a little bit of a contradiction to the main narrative. Because right now yeah. I just feel like, in the media, uh, a, a lot of people are just not properly educated on how our monetary system works. And that's that's sad because the system is set up that way, right? We don't really learn what money printing is, how the Federal Reserve was created, and all the things that are bad about this, the, this type of central banking-driven fiat world. And so I try to remember that because I was also one of those media figures. I, I at one point had very little financial literacy, not again, my fault, but because of the system and how, how education is designed right now. So I just want to spark a little bit of that, you know, th there's another path here because the path you're going on, I sort of alluded to this in my last Fox hit where I was on an inflation special. It's like, Okay, we're art. We're okay. The markets are down. We're talking about inflation. You know, this policy's bad. This guy's bad. We're all like throwing slingshots right at the symptoms of the problem. But at some point, the money printer is going to go back and go burr again. I don't know when that's going to be. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's in three months. Maybe it's in two years when we just pop, you know, pop along this, uh, this, this, cho these choppy waters in a uh, recession or stagflation, whatever. But at some point, the money printer is going to reinitiate. 
and the balloon, the bubble is going to get even bigger and the wealth concentration is going to get even worse. So what actually fixes it, right? Because we're, we're on two paths. One path leads to hyperinflation and the debasement of the currency and the collapse of the, the dollar and the dominance of the U.S., And the other path leads to the biggest crash we've ever had, worse than the Great Depression, complete austerity, Mm -hmm. people suffering, banks going, every business going under. Well, obviously, that's not the political, no one has the political appetite for that, even though that's probably what would be healthiest. Uh, So we're going to go the route of inflation and make it seem like it's fine and it's a good thing. So now what's the solution? Well, Bitcoiners would argue that through technology, we have a solution. You're just not paying attention to it because you, you're you're focusing on the system and you're framing everything from the current system. You're not looking outside at this beautiful you know, garden that Bitcoiners are growing and uh, and you're within your walls and you're just you're 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 in your silo chamber, echo chamber. And so that's what I try to point people to, because, again, there's no way out other than Bitcoin, in my opinion. Um, so I like to think, even if you just put a little bit, if you're totally skeptical and you're like, well, I, I don't trust it. I think Bitcoin's doomed to fail. What's 1% going to hurt? What's 5% going to hurt? If right. it absolutely fails, mm-hmm. you lost 5%. But what if what if we're right? What if we're right? Do you think there's a 1% chance we're right? Maybe a 5% chance we're right? You know, Wouldn't you want to allocate more and more? That's like the thing I try to think about as opposed to you know being overwhelmed by the fact that I can't take someone down the rabbit hole for three minutes. Yeah. And while we're just breaching the topic of the Fed, and this is my perspective here, and you guys tell me if you agree, it seems the Fed, you know, they're likely to continue ratcheting rates because what they're worried about is whatever the largest forest fire at the moment is. And the largest forest fire right now is clearly inflation. Everybody's worried about that. Um, Until there's another alternative forest fire that's looking worse or like that's got the, the bigger political ramifications, they will continue raising these rates. But intuitively, they will cause the recession you're speaking of by raising these rates because nobody can afford. I mean, who's affording these house prices at, you know, five and a quarter percent right now? Almost nobody like it's all slowing down. So before they're going to start easing, they're going to have to cause this crash or some sort of uh, economic slowdown. That is a recession by the traditional term, you know, which it isn't today because they say it isn't. But this is a recession. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They're going to have to cause another alternative problem before they start easing again. And then they'll have to start easing aggressively to pull us out of the tailspin that they cause by ratcheting up rates. They're just between a rock and a hard place. As Dan and I always say, I mean, if we were in their seat, we'd be doing the same thing. There's really there's really no alternative for their they're just reactive to whatever the current problem is. And by the time they get to reacting to the current problem, they're causing a foreseeable next problem, but they're so worried about the previous one that they just can't put out both of those fires at the same time. It's uh, it's a real predicament for them. I think you have to take people back to the root and mechanics of the actual system because we're working off of really long time frames here. A lot of people that get into Bitcoin new or that listen to the wrong voices, right, are thinking about this in a six-month, one-year, even five-year time frame, and this concern of, say, long-term debasement and purchasing power decline is, is probably something that's going to take place on a five, ten, you know, decades-long set of time frames, right? Because if you're, if you're just looking at dollar strengthening right now, like the thesis doesn't necessarily make sense, and that's where you really have to take people back to the roots of the problem, which is just an artificial set of monetary technologies that are anachronistic and create endless credit expansion 
And now in the world we're in today with four year election cycles, there's absolutely no way that the band-aids aren't going to continue to be applied. Like they're not going to go down to the bone and really fix the problem. And as Josh said, if we were in the same spot, we'd be doing the same stuff. The, the system is a mess. Then you flip the page over, you look at the startling beauty and simplicity of Bitcoin. You start to envision what that would look like moving to those rails and it becomes very obvious, but that takes a lot of time, effort, and homework to get to those realizations. Well, you know, I can appreciate you saying that we would do the same thing in that spot. And I agree that they're backed into a corner and there's no easy path forward after the response that they had to COVID-19, but also in general, the last t decade of quantitative easing. But I would actually argue that it that doesn't have to be the answer. And what what's frustrating to me, and I think what's frustrating to a lot of the public is just the dishonesty that exists from our leadership, whether it's political or the central bankers. I mean, it's either either we have complete ignorance or we have deceit because it's okay. If they're ignorant, they don't understand that Bitcoin is this parallel system that we could exit into. It could help with our debt spiral. It could actually allow us to accumulate wealth again as a nation, as opposed to being the largest debtor in the world. That's okay. You're ignorant. You're not listening to the people trying to educate you on it. Maybe we, maybe we can, you know, have a step in the right direction eventually with more and more efforts, but maybe you do understand it and you're just being completely deceitful and you've benefited from the system, right? You've traded. I mean, some of these federal reserve officials were stock trading and selling things before yeah. announcing rate hikes or announcing that something was going to change in monetary policy. And then you have uh, elected officials doing the same thing. And it's that hypocrisy is so frustrating for so many people because it's like, what is the truth? You're telling us it's not a recession, yet everything indicates that it is. Just because right. you say the word is not a recession doesn't make the reality, the fact that people are feeling a recession any different, right? People's debt is going through the roof. Consumers are, are not able to pay for their cost of living except to go further into debt, put things on credit cards. So I, I would argue that if there were good people in that office that were either open to hearing about Bitcoin or were honest about the current situation and how we got here and said, hey, guys, the reason that you're suffering and you face inflation at the gas pump and at the grocery store is because of us. It's we messed up. We're trying to fix it. We are doing our best. And here's what we're going to do in order to make that yeah. happen. But they just go up there and strongest economy ever. Yeah. Or like, like, it's like, it's, you're suffering. That's your, that's in your imagination. And that's, what's frustrating. And I think we can do better and we should, we should expect better. If I'm in the position where I guess what one of the arguments to that would be, they're just trying to hold this thing together so that we don't have like a cataclysmic blow up. Like if, if too many people yeah. lose trust in the system, um, it inherently doesn't work. And it's already, I think we have one of the largest points in history of distrust in all of the organizations that we have running all of these things. Like no one, there's a large percentage of people that don't trust anything right now. And it's a growing contingent. And that's extremely dangerous because I mean, for everybody, because the, if it gets to a tipping point where nobody trusts these organizations, then it just turns into complete chaos. And that's, I think they're overriding fear, even though, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. There's a ton of corruption going on. And that's the primary reason people don't trust these organizations anymore. But uh, having a complete loss of trust could be catastrophically worse. So I think I think they're just trying to hold on to the shoestrings here and not let it all just blow apart. I mean, the fact of the matter is, yes, I, long term, I think Bitcoin's very good for humanity. 
But if I, it, you, Josh, you've said this before. If I wake up tomorrow morning and the price of Bitcoin is $290,000 overnight, I am locating my food stores and making sure I have ammo in my house because that means there's a massive unwind probably of the credit market. And if there's an unwind of the credit market and it doesn't get rescued to the downside, like let's go back to 08. If they let that thing go, right? They sit around for Lehman and Bear Stearns. If they keep sitting around, like you could have had credit cards out of service for six months, grocery stores empty. The the counter argument to this, the steel man is like, is there is there any, this is giving them the benefit of the doubt, but especially you think about like Gary Gensler and I've watched some of his courses. This guy understands Bitcoin. Is there any way behind closed doors? They're like, this thing's taking over. This is an innovation that's time has come. Let's just try to let this ship it there's a hole there's a there's a breach in the hole. Let's try to coast into the island slowly instead of having everybody end up in the middle of the ocean. There is part of me that wonders if there's some recognition on people that have done their homework that that's what's going on and they don't want liquidity to unwind too quickly. Like this this is going to be an unpopular thing for some of our audience, but if Bitcoin took over too quickly, like it it could it could be the sort of the escape valve that that shows that there's a bigger problem afoot. Yeah. It's kind of like what Jeff Booth has been saying. I know he said it when we talked to him, which is like, you don't want to be the only rich guy. That's why I'm going with the ammo, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't you don't want to be the few rich people with a sea of people that are just trying to get at you, you know? Like it's uh it's yeah. not a good spot to be in unless you can find a private island and get out. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a tough, tough situation. I definitely do wonder about the people who are in powerful offices, including like the Gary Genslers, who do really understand Bitcoin. Like what what are they doing behind those closed doors? Um, because some some elected officials make it very obvious they really don't understand it. Maybe they're starting yeah. to or they're curious and maybe open, but a lot of them really don't. I wonder, I wonder, like, for example, what does does Xi Jinping understand Bitcoin? Does he like really understand? Not not just a little bit, not the surface, because we all I think we can recognize the difference, right? Some people understand Bitcoin a little bit. They can understand mm -hmm. it's decentralized yeah. and it's twenty one million. But to but to really understand how bulletproof the network, the programming, the difficulty adjustment, the all of that is, and to really understand its potential and understand the 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 fiat currency the history of money all you know all the things in our current system that we're so used to like how cuz i've always been someone who argues that if you really understand bitcoin you have to be for it you have to be you have to be unless you're super corrupt it's so it's hard to argue against it when you truly when you have a fundamental understanding especially of the mechanics that. the economics the the game theory that you know kind yeah. of bootstraps it all together it is really hard to have a lucid argument against it. And that's, yeah. I think Dan and I try to steel man this stuff all the time and just talking to each other. Like, right. What are we missing here? Like, are, are we crazy or, you know, are we all just in our own bubble crazy or is this really that great? And every time we have the conversation, we come back to, it really is that ins insanely great. It's mm -hmm. just so, it's so hard for people to recognize because I think it is so multidisciplinary, you know? Well, even if you don't like it and you think it's bad for mankind, that doesn't mean it's not going to work. Like I sent this tweet out, I think it was some point this week, and I said, when you first start looking into Bitcoin, you sit there and wonder how in the world is this thing going to work? And then after a couple hundred hours, you sit there and think, how in the world is this thing going to fail? 
Yeah. And that's at least where I'm at. I mean, I'm relentlessly trying to poke holes in this thing. Yes. That's a lot of what Josh and I are texting back and forth about all the time. And our wives are like, get off your fucking phone. (laughs) But we're just trying to poke holes in this thing. We've been trying to do that for Mm -hmm. years. And there are fair counter arguments. This thing isn't perfect. Nothing's perfect. But it, it looks like the last puzzle piece fitting in pretty nicely here into a into a pretty messy backdrop. Completely. Um, and it's it's hard to picture how it's not going to succeed. Especially, man, Lynn Alden's been hitting me hard these days with just, just going back to the basics of the significance of a digital bear asset that actually works with economies of scale and money velocity of the 21st mm-hmm. century. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you're a th- if back to your if you're an authoritarian leader of a country, and you start to grasp, here's where privacy technology and ac- encryption's going, and VPNs, and then here comes this thing that enables people to have value outside the financial system in a bare digital yeah. fashion. How is you, how is your either mouth not open or your butthole puckered thinking? How in the world is this thing not going to work? Right. Good luck well, keeping the lid on it. I completely agree, and I think it's I think it's the intelligent thing to do to try to keep. Um, the debate going of what, what could poke a hole in it? How could it fail? What are the weaknesses? Where are the areas where we need to really channel uh, development and, and entrepreneurship and, and investment? Because obviously Bitcoin does need to become more scalable in layers and it does. Um, But I just, I think that once you go deep enough down the rabbit hole, you really see, wow, we're so lucky to have this because the alternative mm. path of going down the same fiat, you know, down that into that landmine, basically, it's just mm-hmm. it's not going to end up well in in the long term for for the majority of people, and we're not going to be this superpower. I mean, the superpowers are just going to die. They're they're going to die because in a decentralized world where borders don't matter, and in Bitcoin there are no borders, we're we have the ability to recreate a whole different world. And I, I don't see unless cu- the countries that will get on the Bitcoin standard first will have, I think, an advantage. But I don't know what the world looks like when there is no currency superpower, which is the monopoly that we've had for so long. Yeah. It'll so. be a very, very different world. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to even sit here uh, at the early stages of the stages of this and even have an inkling of an idea of where this is in 20 years, because it really does flip the chessboard completely over and there's no telling how the pieces land at all. I mean, superpowers yeah. could be completely, completely neutered by this. Along this line of freedom, empowerment, borders, talk to us about the Oslo Freedom Forum. I know it's a little bit in the rearview mirror, yeah. but uh, for people that don't know what it is, what is it? What stood out to you from that? Um, give us a high level how that hits you. Oh, yeah, that was an amazing trip. So I went to the Oslo Freedom Forum. It was actually my second conference um, in a year because the last one was held in Miami in December. So this was actually back in Norway now that the pandemic has died down a bit. And it's put on by the Human Rights Foundation. So many people are familiar with Alex Gladstein, who's the chief strategy officer. And even though it's a conference that's really focused on human rights, a massive component of that conference has now become Bitcoin. 
And so there are Bitcoin speakers that come in from around the world. Lynn Alden was there, Elizabeth Stark, Jeff Booth, Alex, Fode uh, Jop, a lot of different people from different uh, backgrounds within the Bitcoin space got a chance to speak about how Bitcoin is really um, a human rights tool and how it's really helping people within developing nations and emerging nations and war-torn nations to be able to escape from oppressive regimes and from situations like what happened in Ukraine. There was a woman that I met there that was helping refugees and they weren't able to cross the border with all of their physical material wealth, but they could cross the border with Bitcoin if they happened to have it or they could use Bitcoin to pay for something that they needed in order to escape. And it's really being used in real time by people who need it the most in countries that suffer far worst in, uh, inflation that suffer from authoritarian rule um, law and, and rulers. And we forget that sometimes like stuff's going on here in the US, but in many other countries, it's far, far worse because we've enjoyed the privilege of the world's global reserve currency. And so it was really inspiring. I'm, I was so grateful to be there and shoot some episodes of my podcast there and hear from the greats again. And uh, I, yeah, I look forward to going back. Oslo is a really interesting place. Are there any stories that come to mind from the conference where you're like, damn, that's that's crazy. That's worth sharing or it hit you different hearing it firsthand. Um, yeah, one of them it's, it's, so there was a guy that I met who I wouldn't be able to pronounce his name. He was from, um, what country was he from? I have to check. But uh, basically what happened is they had an authoritarian leader come in right around the 90s and um, and he's been in office and most of the nation is now impoverished. And so they tried to hold a free election and the guy who basically was probably going to win, who represented most of what the public wanted in terms of creating more of a democratic government, he was placed into jail by the leader, by the, the president. And so his wife decided to take over and and finish out the election campaign and she was fairly elected and so um but the, but the guy wouldn't let her take office so she Svetlana something is her name she actually spoke at the conference and this guy who um Yaroslav is his, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'd have to look it up. But basically, he's been gathering, he's been trying to m- get as many people on Bitcoin as possible to subvert this oppressive regime that's in the country for them to be able to start accumulating wealth and to be able to send it back and forth to each other to get aid from family members and from across the borders to help each other escape. And it was just a fascinating story um, because Bitcoin is not, it's not a, a, a prevalent you know asset there or a, a form of currency. But slowly but surely, these efforts are just trying to help the people who just are in need of basic necessities at this point. Like they're, they, during COVID-19, they went out in the streets. That's why the election, uh, was, um, you know, came to pass because they were people literally marching in the street saying, we're hungry. We need food. We need this. And the, the people are sitting in their ivory tower, you know, they're okay, but everyone else is suffering, which it was just an interesting story. Now there's going to be a movie about them. Let me look up the country because I want to be able to speak about it. Um, a little bit more it's it's from oh it's belarus so she so so the wife was like a teacher and her husband was gonna be elected and hopefully usher in a different type of government and he was imprisoned i think they actually like hijacked a plane and when they landed they like arrested the guy um and then she took over the election she got fairly and squarely elected and then they wouldn't let her take office and so she had to flee she's now a refugee and she went and spoke at this conference and her husband is in prison and it's just like crazy so that was the takeaway for me and i didn't you know bitcoin's not very central to that story but i was like 
wow, it's crazy to think what's happening across the world with these crazy authoritarian leaders. That's 10 times worse than what we see here in the U.S. Right. Yeah. That's just one of those reminders. Like we I mean, we see some messed up stuff go on here. We see some corruption, but nothing even comes close to it and doesn't Mm -hmm. hold a candle to the kind of stuff you're talking about when the Human Rights Foundation talks about. I mean, just some of the people from North Korea, some of those, you know, Mm -hmm. Slavic countries, they have they have some horrible stuff going on. Horrible. And China, obviously. Did you, uh, on a lighter note, you didn't happen to run into a character named Gigi when you were there, did you? I met him. We heard uh, from some some, uh, sources that he was there. Yes, I met him at one of the get-togethers at night. Yeah, yeah, he was so nice. Was he wearing a green suit when you met him? Did you actually see his face? (laughs) No, I saw his face, yeah. Did you really? I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah, I told him I was a big fan. Um, Yeah, so I met him at at one of the, the events after the conference. People went nuts over our conversations with him recently. Oh. Um, he blends. We said to him, like, we had him on, and we were like, he 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 taps into infinite intellectual depth, but then he comes straight back to the degenerate surface <laughs> that firemen like to be at, and he blends the two wonderfully. Like, it's this hilarious confluence that guy's personality. So I literally, I just drove down to um, to meet my friends at the beach and I had a long drive and I re-listened to 21 Lessons just this past weekend in my car because I just think great it's book. a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Gigi's a, he's a rare character. That's for sure. Great guy. Yeah. As Harry Sudak says, he's this big brained Bitcoin spirit <laughs> animal. And uh, <laughs> I think yeah. I agree. He's a, he's a mystical, mystical creature for sure. We look forward to talking to him again. Yes, we do. Um, talk to us about the hard money show. What's going on? What, 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 let's talk about your work a little bit recently. What's changed? What are you excited about? What's annoying? Yeah. Super excited about hard money. So, um, we've been in development with this show for, for months, basically since the start of the year, basically we just saw a need in the market in general within video media, television media, news for a show that is brought to you by people who actually understand Bitcoin and can bridge the the divide between the traditional world and this new Bitcoin world. And so we cover everything from the macro headlines, unemployment, inflation, uh, what's happening with the Fed, things with the administration. And then we also talk about what's happening in Bitcoin and how Bitcoin fixes a lot of the problems that were caused by the traditional system. So it's super cool. It's a about a 30 minute show. Once a week, we cover everything that's developing within macro as well as Bitcoin. We have original reports that I'm really proud of. We've covered everything from El Salvador to the housing market to, you know, one-off pieces that feature really interesting Bitcoiners. And, uh, and we have interviews every single week. And I just, it's been such an honor to work on a show like that because again, you know, I come from that world and I always felt like I couldn't do stories on Bitcoin. It was kind of always, Mm. you know, people, people within corporate media see it as something far too risky. They don't understand it. They don't see how it connects to so many of the other things that we're reporting on. And when you watch CNBC or some of these other platforms, they're so negative. It seems like it's almost like they celebrate the bear market. They're like, see, it's not an inflation hedge. Why don't you, you know, defend it? And instead we're taking the other side of it. We're like, well, actually, what if it can solve all these problems and look at what's happening with our country and, and Bitcoin fixes a lot of these issues. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate. We're trying to bring in people that would normally watch regular financial or news shows, but are also curious about Bitcoin and can learn about it, as well as people that already are really deep into Bitcoin and want to hear the latest about what's happening with our economy uh, and Bitcoin. So yeah, I've been really proud of it. It's once a week on Swan Bitcoin's YouTube page, and I hope everyone checks it out. 
Natalie in her native habitat. Yeah, yeah. No, it's me being back in the anchor chair, which is, uh, it's funny because it's like, it was kind of, um, so I love the podcasting platform again, because you could be a little bit more casual. You could be at home. You're, you know, you, I, when I started my podcast guys, I didn't do video. Like I didn't want to be on camera. There's, there's a point that you get to, especially I think as a woman, as you start to get older, you know, you get kind of tired of people being really mean to you about your TV appearance. You have to wear something different every week. You have to be all, you know, dolled up and this, and you have to, you know, look a certain way and people still comment and say mean things and point out the little imperfections. Oh, your hair's this, your face is this. And you get kind of tired of it. You're like, you know what? I just want to do a podcast where I just put my voice out there and it doesn't matter what I look like. Like, just leave me alone. Um, so I'm now I'm back on the, on the front facing side with video, um, which, you know, I still enjoy, but it's just funny because podcasts are, it's nice to not be on camera sometimes and just like wear your PJs. Yeah, exactly. You can wear a sweat. <laughs> Suit. Nobody knows. Nobody sees the video. Yeah. We still don't do video on purpose. We've had a number of people ask for it, which is a little scary. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're we're like, you know what? It's I couldn't resonate more with what yeah. you just said. There's a simplicity yeah. behind audio only. And it's like, let's let these conversations gain merit just by their substance, not by how gorgeous Josh and I are. You know what I mean? Which <laughs> you can attest to. It's a sight to see. And we are wasting this video with, I mean, if people could see Natalie, that would probably help this episode do better. Oh, but, okay, please. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, the beauty that Josh and I both possess, it's for our wives only. <laughs> YouTube doesn't need to see it. A gratuitous pick on Twitter once in a while of one of ourselves working out or something, you know, just <laughs> once in a while. Yep. <laughs> Satiate Susie B for a little mm. while, you know, uh, keep her off her case so for another funny. month or two. She's so She's funny. Hilarious. I love following her. Yeah. <laughs> How much of your time is this show dominating? I'm assuming this is a ton of work to get prepped for these weekly hard money episodes, right? Yeah, well, I have a great team. So we have um, amazing producers. We have an amazing editor. We have amazing shooters. So I, it's, it's definitely a massive team effort and collaboration, which I'm grateful for. But it's just like anything else. Like when you run your own business, when you run your own shows and and you are you have like your your finger on the pulse of a few different projects, it's your schedule is very different. So every week I'm checking in. Like we do shoot one day a week, but, you know, there's script, scripts to look over. There's the episode to watch before it, it goes live and feed feedback and book guests. And so it's all over the place. Like we work on it every single day. Um, we shoot it once a week and it's the same with my podcast. You know, I book the guests much like you guys do. You shoot it, but then there's editing and then there's like yep. getting stuff ready for what are you going to promote it with and posts and this and that and descriptions on YouTube. And so it's really... It's the creating content looks very easy and it looks fun and glamorous, just like my old mm. job did. But it is a mm -hmm. lot of work, and you have to you have to give it to people who who take the time to make it look really good and let make it look effortless because it's not easy. It's very very time consuming. Yeah, we uh, we can commiserate with you on that. It's it is not just uh, have no. someone show up, have an hour conversation, and send that thing. Like it, it is a lot more work than it appears. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about regulation. So speaking of um, your growing platform, like we, we even with our small size, we're seeing this more like you can't you, you, you put something out there, you put a thought out there and then it 90 percent of its positive feedback. But the negative feedback comes and you can stir up hornet's mm -hmm. nests. Um, you may I think I don't even know exactly the backstory. I saw your thread. I think it was yesterday that you put it out mm -hmm. kind of just speaking about 
the spirit of regulation, SEC, Bitcoin, altcoins, mm-hmm. kind of bring us up to speed on your headspace with that. And if you have any fresh opinions after this last week. Yeah. So I'm someone who is very pro smaller government. And I speak about that. Like anyone who follows my work will know that. I believe that government is, is the concentration of power has gotten too far, especially Mm. in response to the pandemic. And the more that we allow the government to take an inch, they're eventually going to take a mile. Right. So I'm not someone who is for big government and too much bureaucracy, too much red tape, too much regulation. That being said, I also am very aware of the current system. System as it stands and the fact that our government will try to and will uh, make strides in regulating this new ecosystem. I'm very bullish on the fact that Bitcoin and the people in office who know and understand it, like Gary Gensler, they've recognized it to be property and a commodity. And so I'm very happy with that because, again, I don't think that you can ban or kill Bitcoin. You can maybe slow it down. You can slow slow down or prevent more on-ramps like they are with the not approving the spot ETF. But eventually, you know, more and more um, regulations will come to this space. And I think that if we're going to res- exist in a system that has regulation, then other projects that may pose risks to investors. There should be proper disclosures. If they are investment contracts, if they are securities, they should be recognized as that. And I believe that that will actually happen. And when there's more regulatory clarity in the world we live in, I think that it will also help people understand, okay, Bitcoin's different because of this. And when I invest in maybe these other projects, I have to know that I'm dependent on perhaps a centralized force that may or may not be successful in the long run. And I have to know that I'm taking risks with my money. And so, again, what I said and what I was trying to convey at four o'clock in the morning on three hours of sleep is that I believe regulatory clarity will help the space. I'm bullish on it um, helping adoption. And I believe that Bitcoin is is number one and doesn't it, it doesn't matter what, el- what else happens. I've never been someone who um, says don't invest in one way or another. I just say I'm only Bitcoin because I don't think I need anything else. I'm tired of living in a system where we have to gamble on the stock market. We have to try to become landlords. We have to look for ways to beat the destruction of purchasing power mm. when finally we have a chance to create a system with hard money again. And, uh, and I hope we elect more people that understand that. And so I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not someone who's pro big government, but th- with the government that we have, I hope that they make smart decisions. Yeah. I think it's going to help as well. Like as these, as this generational change happens in the next five to 10 years, the, is, I mean, the, the, most of the politicians we have are in their seventies and eighties. They're, they're just aged out. They need to, I mean, I'm not wishing for the death of anybody, but like you need to get out of politics once you're so old that you've Alzheimer's and you can barely, you know, recognize whose hand to shake. They're just, it's just not, it's not something that's going to be allowing new technologies to proliferate the way they need to. And I think when we get some new generational blood in these places, it's going to allow this change to happen much more seamlessly than it has been in the last five to 10 years, for sure. No, I completely agree. I think that as we elect more Bitcoiners who have been using this technology and maybe understand it, that things will move in the right direction. But again, we still like the education needs to get out there because there are so so much FUD with ESG about proof of work yeah. and all of that. We really need to educate people on it so that Bitcoin is not people aren't suddenly against Bitcoin and driving towards projects that are potentially 
you know, completely centralized or insecure. I feel like there's so much more work to be done in this space. And at the end of the day, look, I... I wish we could abolish the Fed and abolish the SEC and abolish all this stuff and let free markets rule, but that's not reality. That's I'm not going to ring that bell right now because to me, I feel like I would be spewing, you know, something that I I don't see happening for at least a couple of decades. The the one thought I have on regulation in general as we close this out is just the other fascinating thing is uh, we've said this before on the show, like. On a long enough time frame, I, I don't think a lot of it matters. Yeah. Like it is kind of a regulatory bait and switch. Like you're convincing these boomer regulators like, oh, see, you can, you know, if you're talking to the CFTC, it can be regulated in this manner. But by the nature of open source and programmable software, which Bitcoin is, right, even even with developments right now, Lightning, Fediment, mm-hmm. um, cross input signature aggregation to the taproot upgrade this thing's going to become more fungible more private and what you thought you had your hands mm-hmm. on the hog you thought you had your hands on is slipperier than you realized for sure and i think um it's just going to be it's going to be tough to get your hands around this thing but whatever we can we can feed them what they want to hear now and in 15 years the thing will look quite different you know so i i hear what you're saying there well and i think healthy debate is is a positive thing. And I think that people should have calm and constructive conversations. And I, I welcome it. Like I believe in freedom of speech and I, I think that that's what Bitcoin represents. And um, these conversations should happen. There should be a forum for them. I, I don't have all the right answers, um, but everyone is entitled to their you know opinion. And I think that if we just move in the direction of educating policymakers, as slowly but surely Bitcoin makes it so that they maybe don't have that grip on power anymore, then uh, I think that's a good thing for everyone. The old Trojan horse. Yes, yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you're seeing lawmakers on both sides of the aisle start to take, pay attention to this thing, especially towards the end of that bull run. All mm-hmm. kinds of people on both sides of the aisle were talking and using it as a tool to uh, obviously garner votes, and it's fallen to the wayside as this thing's kind of shit the bed in the last six months. But we all know this phoenix will rise again, and when it does, politicians will pay attention. Bitcoin camouflage. That's what the volatility mm. does. It it heads out into the middle of the savanna for all the predators to see, and then it tucks back into the bush for <laughs> a year and a half, and it comes out larger <laughs> next cycle, you know? Surfaces. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for the next bull run, that's for sure. <laughs> Natalie, your call for the top of the next bull run. So we can use that as... <laughs> As the name of the show, what is it? What is it? One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Um, no, I don't know. I I, I a safe do. Call. I do believe, in my opinion, I don't. You know, I don't like to make these price predictions either. But I would, I would hope that in the next bull run, we do hit six figures. You know, I thought that we would have, I definitely thought we would have in this last one. I thought it was going to be more of a blow off top and then inflation ran too high and we had all these supply chain issues and the Fed really did have to come in and start to become aggressive. But I do think in the next bull run, when that money printer goes burr again, they're going to have to do so much more printing than they even did when we, what we thought was unprecedented, they're going to beat that (laughs) by a long shot. Mm, I think you're right. You know, I I look forward actually to the day where Bitcoin is decoupled from all of this and people finally start to realize that it's the life raft. It's been correlated for so long in many ways with equities and what's been happening with maybe the S&P and all that. No, eventually it will be its own 
special asset class that uh, is does what it wants because Bitcoin doesn't care about any of us. It just cares about time and and blocks. <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't care about you. Bitcoin doesn't care. Before you go, Natalie, um, quick story for you. So last conference, I met a couple of firefighters from L.A., Mo and Ryan. So shout out to those two guys. I haven't given them a shout out since then. I should have. But anyway, we're eating dinner across the street from uh, this fancy hotel where they're like, so they're telling me these stories about previous conferences where they had snuck into these private parties and they're like, yeah, we should. There's a swan party going on across the street. We'll sneak in. And I'm like, I'm down. I got nothing going on tonight. Let's go sneak into the swan party. So we walk into the lobby and you had just been walking out at the same time, just happenstance. So I say hi to you. And the bouncer sees me talk to you for just a minute or two, looks at us and assumes that we're like into this party. So he opens the door for us. And we're like, holy shit, we're just walking right into this place. We have nobody stopping us. The bouncer thinks we're in. We made it about 30 feet to the table where they're like, all right, names. And we're like, oh, shit. So we give them our names and they're like, well, you guys aren't on the list. Get the hell out of here. We threw the firefighter card down. Didn't work. They threw us out. Basically, the moral of the story is um, we're going to need you to, you know, hook Dan and I and drag us into some parties at this next conference. Uh, oh, I would I would love to. If I can do that. You guys know the really funny Miami Bitcoin conference story of me, right? When I no. first started my show. Oh, it's a great story. I shared it on my Parker Lewis podcast at the very, very end. So it was it's a me and Parker have a full circle, very special relationship because the first conference that I mentioned I went to where nobody knew who I was. I, I, I didn't know who I was. Like, I just like started my podcast and, you know, I made these little business cards. I was trying to get more people to come on the show. I was trying to network and like get Michael Saylor and all these, and yeah. all these people that I really admired. And I went with my best girlfriend, shout out Paula Penley. She's an attorney in Texas and I've orange pilled her. Don't worry guys. She's very, awesome. very orange pilled. And so we went to the Bitcoin conference together. We would go backstage. We would, um, you know, introduce ourselves. I would talk about, she was, she was the best. You guys, she would hustle for me. She's like, have you guys heard her podcast? Like, you should really <laughs> listen. She'd hand out my business card to people. She's just the best. And we uh, got invited by, I forgot who, um, but we were, at, we were at Saifedean's Carnivore Dinner got invited to the Unchained slash Nidig party at one of the really nice hotels. And so we go there, right? We're thinking like, well, the, the, they invited us at this dinner, so we're going to be allowed in. We get to the door and Parker and a couple of um, like girls have this, you know, the list of the people. And we walk behind Saifedean and he's like, yeah, you guys aren't on the list. Like you guys are yeah, not on the list. And we're like, <laughs> oh, it's a rough, but- it's a rough turn away. And, and by the way, I mean, there's there's barely anybody. It's not like it was at capacity and the place was overflowing with people. And it's a bunch of guys, obviously. We were like, well, don't you want to maybe have a couple girls in there? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Like, this is but Bitcoin. Anyway. They're, they're afraid of girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, but it was so funny because we were like, oh, okay. He's like, you could maybe try to come back later and maybe, they're all, maybe people have left. And we're like, okay. So we go off, we have dinner. We tried to come back. And he was like, no, you're not on. Like, we can't <laughs> let you in. Just the and, double. Uh, and, yeah. Oh and so, so later, I, you know, I 
was acquainted with Parker and I reminded him of, I was like, you kick, you didn't let us in. And he's like, oh my God, like, I didn't know who you were. I'm so sorry. I, I, I would have let you in. So this year we got in, we were on the list. It was like a celebratory moment. We took photos with Parker. And the best thing was there was a group of guys behind us that weren't on the list trying to get in. And we were like, it's okay if you wait a year. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. actually the Nidig party. Now that when you said that, it reminded me that it was the Nidig one that we that I saw you at. Wow. So oh. that's even funnier. This is like a Bitcoiners rite of passage, getting rejected from the Nidig party. Dan yeah, got it, Dan oh, got totally. to skip that entire process. I mean, assuming oh, with, yeah, was, I had a baby. Unfortunately, if Nidig is listening, obviously we're invited. So. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing, Natalie, we won't need you because Josh, let's just bring our turnout gear and fire helmets. Oh. We'll walk straight through. Tell them they got an issue with the panel. Yeah, the fire alarm's going off. Yeah, we got to check that. that out. Strip down 100%. and we'll be in. We got a plan. No shirt though. Just just bunker pants. Everyone wants some heroes around. You guys are the heroes. <laughs> All right, Natalie, we'll let you get out of here. You got uh stuff to do. We appreciate your generosity with your time. Always love catching up with you. Um Give just quick handoff to where people can find your content. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love your guys' show. So keep up the amazing work. I appreciate the chance to be on. You can follow me on Twitter at Nat Brunel. Um, my website, talkingbitcoin.com. I have a show called Coin Stories, which is my podcast. And I'm also the host of Hard Money on YouTube. So thank you so much. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you, Natalie. Have a great rest of your day. When you're in Chicago, let us know. We'll do something live. I will. Did you guys go to the Windy City State the Smokeout? No, wow. we didn't. No. Yeah, we got kids <laughs> and wives. No, we're lame. We're strapped at home with a bunch of stupid yeah. kids. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. All right. <laughs> Can't well, do anything. We'll, we'll have you escape from that. Uh, next time I'm in town, we'll hang out. We'll have a Bitcoin meetup. <laughs> two disgruntled dads over here. All right. All right. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is blue collar Bitcoin podcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah.